0: let's hit a few more types of whiskey and wrap up the overall discussion of different types of whiskey underneath the large umbrella that is whiskey with or without the e before the y what's up guys you're listening to the whiskey noobs podcast and i am the host chris if you are new here and didn't know that But if you're not new here, you probably did know that. And as I said, in this episode, we're going to wrap up with a few more types of whiskey. Why am I saying more? Well, if you didn't see episodes 107 and 108, we've kind of started off this recap of the topic of whiskey. So I recommend you go listen to those two episodes if you have not already, and then come back to this episode and listen to it. But in this episode, we're going to run through the different rules that govern Canadian whiskey Japanese whiskey and rye whiskey we're specifically going to look at American rye but I will explain that a little bit when we get there so of course I am going to be doing a review in this episode I'm going to be drinking Nika coffee grain whiskey which is a Japanese whiskey since that's one of the categories we're going over today and if you've been around on the podcast for any amount of time you probably have noticed we haven't had very many Japanese whiskeys so I wanted to have another one I think we're three for three on screw tops instead of corks, if I'm not mistaken, in terms of Japanese whiskeys. So we've also had Suntory Whiskey Toki, we've had Tenjaku, and now Nika Coffee Grain Whiskey. So I'm excited to see how this one's a little bit different from the other two. You'll notice that this is a grain whiskey rather than like a malt. I believe Whiskey Toki is a single malt. Maybe Tenjaku is as well. I'm going to have to look before this episode's over. Uh, but that would make this a little bit different in that this is a grain whiskey. So it doesn't just need to be malted barley in the mash bill. I'm interested to see how that changes it. I have had one glass of it. Um, and so I already kind of know. But I'm, I always like to do a few different tastings before I draw a conclusion. I'm interested to see. I'm interested to see what happens. So I will be drinking that and giving you guys a little bit like mini review throughout, but we will continue with the episode as I'm doing the tasting, and then I'll wrap it up at the end. So once again, before I get to this, I want to mention these are all, of course, types of whiskey. Everything that I'm going to talk about is a type of whiskey. Sometimes people get a little bit confused. They think maybe scotch is different from whiskey. Bourbon is different from whiskey. These make it a little bit more obvious because they're called blank whiskey, Canadian whiskey, Japanese whiskey, rye whiskey. It's right there in the name, but I just want to clarify that these are all types of whiskey. Different cultures spell the word whiskey differently, but at the end of the day, these are all what people refer to when they say whiskey. So let's get into the different types, and we're going to start with Canadian whiskey. I had to sneak a quick taste there, and it's a little bit better than I remembered it being, so I'm hoping I enjoy this class. We'll see. Let's get started with Canadian whiskey. Here's a thing that's going to be confusing like right off the bat. Canadian whiskey, a lot of times, especially back in the day, is referred to as rye whiskey. It's decreasingly being referred to as rye whiskey. So a lot of people are starting to call it Canadian whiskey. But some people would just call it rye. Uh, So it, it, it doesn't have specific rules that it has to be made from rye. Not like Canadian whiskey doesn't. We'll get to rye whiskey at the end. So, I don't want anybody to be confused if you hear somebody call Canadian whiskey rye, because a lot of times it's just referred to as rye, but they mean Canadian whiskey. And it's becoming less popular nowadays, but that's something I wanted to get right out in front of, because it confused me when I was looking into it way back in the day for, I don't know, episode 7 or 11 of this podcast, something like that but canadian whiskey doesn't need to be any specific mash bill it just needs to be made from cereals so it's not like bourbon where it has to be 51 percent corn nothing like that it doesn't have specific things that need to be in the mash bill so it's worth mentioning as i said doesn't need to have rye in it people still call it rye it's just something that's kind of confusing one thing that you're going to recognize right off the bat is it needs to be bottled at did you guess it yet 40% alcohol by volume or 80 proof, as is the standard with almost all whiskeys. All the whiskeys that we've talked about. It also has to be aged a minimum of three years. So you'll remember that bourbon didn't have a minimum age. Scotch and I believe Irish were both three years, and Canadian whiskey is also three years. It does have to be aged in containers, 700 liters or less. That's another one that you'll see it has in common with Scotch and with Irish whiskey. This, once again, does not have the rule that the containers have to be new. So bourbon is, so far, the only one that we've gotten to that has that specific rule that the containers have to be new. They cannot have had other spirits in them. Canadian whiskey does not have that rule. The other thing, there's a couple of unique things about Canadian whiskey. So first is you can add water and caramel coloring. You'll notice that other whiskeys allowed that too, just not bourbon. So you might recognize that so far. This is, this is pretty similar to scotch into Irish whiskey. But there are a couple of unique things with Canadian whiskey. And the first is that you can have up to 9.09% of any spirit or any wine for flavoring, so long as if it's a spirit, it's aged for at least two years. So let me repeat that a little bit because I was, I was reading it, and now I want to say it so it sinks in a little bit better. You can have up to 9%, let us just say 9%, of something else in the Canadian whiskey to flavor it. You could use a spirit that's been aged at least two years or you could use a wine. What's the idea behind that rule? Well, what I've heard is the idea is if you finish a bourbon, which makes it a finished bourbon, not just a bourbon, but if you finish a bourbon in like a wine barrel, it's going to get a lot of wine in it for flavoring because that barrel soaked up a ton of wine. So. The argument that I've seen is with Canadian whiskey that you can just cut out the middleman and you can throw in other things. There's actually some history to that rule with having to do with the taxes and the things that you could put in the barrel when you were sourcing, whatever. But what's important to know is that you could have other things in the Canadian whiskey that would flavor it. As always, I feel the need to clarify. I hate that I have to clarify this, but that doesn't make Canadian whiskey any better or worse than other whiskeys. I'm not trying to say that it does. Just want people to know the rules. Sometimes whenever whenever you point out that a type of whiskey is unique, people get touchy about it. So I always like to be clear. I like all whiskeys, but this one has a specific set of rules. The other thing that is interesting about Canadian whiskey is a lot of times Canadian whiskeys are blended. And they'll have a base whiskey and a flavoring whiskey. So you'll, they'll make this base whiskey that has a little bit less flavor in it and a little bit more alcohol Then they'll have a flavoring whiskey that has more flavor and is less strong. And they'll do blends of those in order to get whatever flavor profile it is that they're going for. A lot of times it's not uncommon for you to have a whiskey that has wheat, has rye, has barley, maybe has corn in it. But all of those mash bills, all of those grains are actually distilled separately. So you take a rye whiskey and a wheat whiskey and a barley whiskey, whatever. You, mix, you blend those together after they're distilled. That's not an uncommon practice in Canadian whiskey. It's actually fairly common. And that's something that totally like blew my mind the first time I heard it because I didn't realize it was done that way. If you're so used to the world of bourbon, like I tend to be sometimes, you'll be like, What? And that's exactly how I reacted when I first learned that. So I wanted to make sure I drove home those two points because those are pretty different from the way bourbon is done. And I know a lot of folks, especially right now because bourbon's hot, a lot of folks know a lot about bourbon. I wanted to point out what's different. Once again, doesn't make it better, doesn't make it worse. Now, let's get to what I'm drinking right now, and that is Japanese whiskey. For Japanese whiskey, you have to use malted grains, but you can have other cereals in it as well. So, you can have unmalted things in it, but it has to use malted grains. It also has to be distilled to less than 95% alcohol by volume, and once again, what do you think it needs to be bottled at? You guessed it. It needs to be bottled at 80 proof or 40% alcohol by volume. It needs to be aged in wooden casks. Do you know the maximum size of the wooden casks? I'll let you guess for a second. 700 liters. Yes, that's what we've seen. Canadian and Scotch, and I think Irish as well, all use 700 liter maximum on the aging vessel. Japanese whiskey needs to be made and distilled at a Japanese distillery, and it needs to be aged for a minimum of three years in wooden casks in Japan. Here is... I like to point out the unique things about everything and there's a unique thing for Japanese whiskey and it's that you can add water to Japanese whiskey, much like you can all the other whiskeys we've talked about. But they specify it has to be water from Japan, which I thought was kind of interesting. And then, of course, you can add caramel coloring like we've seen a lot of other whiskeys do as well. And it wasn't always this way. So the Japanese whiskey laws are, are fairly recent. I think if you go back to the episode, I think, 11. Let me look that up for you guys. I'm glad I looked it up because I was wrong, and it was episode number 13, Canadian and Japanese whiskeys. But if you go back to that episode at any rate, I forgot why I looked that up there for a second. If you go back to that episode, you will hear me say about how the laws are recent. Those haven't always been around. It used to be a little bit of a free-for-all. I actually believe that you can still technically violate these laws because they haven't started enforcing them yet, if I'm not mistaken. But don't really worry about that. That is all political jargon, and it's just my way of letting you know that These rules are relatively recent, but these are the new laws for Japanese whiskey. With that, I feel like it's only appropriate that I do take another sip of this Nika Coffee Grain Whiskey. Make sure I'm calling it the right thing. It's kind of a full name, isn't it? Coffee Grain Whiskey. Nika Coffee Grain Whiskey. I'm going to take another sip of it and let you guys know what I'm thinking. Now, I think I've actually failed to mention up to this point or at all in the show. Uh, So let's talk about this real quick. Nika Coffee Grain Whiskey. It's not called coffee because it tastes like coffee. You'll actually see if you look at the label that it is not spelled the way that coffee that you drink is spelled. Why is it called coffee grain whiskey then? That's actually because of the type of still that they used. And I don't think I've mentioned yet on the show that a column still can be called a coffee still for the gentleman who patented the still. I believe his last name was Coffee. Somebody checked me on that, but I'm, I'm I'm fairly certain that's the case. So the reason they're calling it that is because they're using a column style still to distill this. Whereas sometimes pot stills are popular. You'll see a lot of times like a single malt scotch has to be made on a pot still. Single pot still Irish whiskeys, of course, is going to be made on a pot still. So this is actually made in a column still. And here's what I'll say about it. Uh, It is a grain whiskey and I am starting to, I think, develop a pattern with whiskeys that either have grain whiskey in them or are just like this straight up a grain whiskey. And that is that it, it gives me a little bit more of like a nail polish remover vibe on the nose that I'm not too big of a fan of, but I do see the appeal a bit because on the palate, it tastes way more like white sugar to me. I get way more of like a basic sweetness Combined with the little bit of flavor that you get from the barrel, which I'll kind of dive a little bit more into. And almost, I'm going to go out on a limb and say a bit herbal, kind of like I said, uh, Suntory Whiskey Toki was, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, Suntory Whiskey Toki definitely had like herbal notes to it for me. Uh, So it, it has a little bit of that going on as well. Not, I know I've said before, like Japanese whiskey. A lot of times is similar to scotch, but this is pretty different. So this is a grain whiskey made from a column still, whereas your single malts are made with just malted barley on a pot still. So this is pretty different, and it's not going to taste anything like a scotch that I've had. If you're listening and you're wondering what it tastes like, none of the scotches that we've had on the show taste quite like this. It reminds me more of actually like a Canadian whiskey that would use a grain whiskey in the blend. That's what I'm getting so far. I will keep diving into it, and I will come back to you with more notes. Also, I did just look it up, and Tenjaku and Whiskey Toki are both blended whiskeys, which is, I, I've totally spaced on that, but that is incredibly common for Japanese whiskey for them to, to blend. So that makes a lot of sense. That was my brain fart. But they are both blended whiskeys, whereas this is just grain whiskey. So that would imply that those, and I'm almost certain that Toki announces that they have malt in it i don't know about tenjaku but that would imply that those both have malt in them whereas this is just a grain whiskey which is a little bit strange and we're going to dive more into it as time goes on here i'm reading the back as i'm talking to you it's interesting uh and i'm going to bring up the website but i don't want to yet because i don't want to see the flavor notes until i tell you my flavor notes so let's move on to rye whiskey we've talked about it i hinted at it what's the deal with rye whiskey Well, I'm going to talk about American rye whiskey because rye could be made anywhere and the laws could be governed by whoever, whatever country it's being made in. So to just say rye whiskey is really tough because it depends on what country you're in. I could do a whole episode with the different countries and different rye whiskeys. You'd probably get super bored. So I'm going to go through American rye whiskey. The easiest way to remember American rye whiskey is it's basically the same, not, not all the way, but basically the same as bourbon except instead of 51% corn, it's 51% rye, which is a huge detail. So I I want to to bear in mind, it tastes incredibly different from bourbon. But I mean, the structure of the rules, same as bourbon, except for the the grain that you're using, which is what makes the flavor so wildly different. So with bourbon, you got to have 51% corn in that mash bill. With American rye, you have to have 51% rye. In both cases, it's often a lot more than 51% even more so with rye. So a lot of times you're going to see 95% rye, 5% malted barley. That's because the malted barley is going to help with the fermentation. It's going to help. It has enzymes in it that help with the fermentation. So a lot of times you're going to see a lot of rye. You'll see 100% rye mash bills as well. Just like bourbon, it has to be aged in new charred oak containers, which is kind of unique to these two. It's kind of unique to the United States. And once again, just like bourbon, you're going to see that it has very similar proof points to bourbon. So it has to come off the still at no more than 160 proof. It has to go into a barrel at no more than 125 proof, just like bourbon. Let me, I want to hear you guys through the camera, guess what it has to be bottled out. Let's go. 80 proof. Yeah, you got it right. <laughs> I don't know why I'm getting blues cluesy with it. It's because I feel like a broken record saying 80 proof over and over again, but it is 80 proof. So, Rye whiskey, once again, like it's easy to remember if you just think it's pretty much the same rules as bourbon except the main ingredient, which is why it tastes so wildly different from bourbon. But it makes it pretty easy to remember, and that's for American rye. Once again, you'll have finished rye, just like you have finished bourbons, uh, but you have to age rye in new barrels. So once you do something else to it, you have to say what it is that you did to it, just like you do with bourbon. And like I said, ryes can be made elsewhere, so you're going to see them in different countries. They can follow different rules. Just be aware of that. There are also other whiskeys that I didn't cover that I want to talk about very briefly. But first, let me just summarize what we talked about here. So Canadian whiskey, not to be confused with rye whiskey because it's often called rye whiskey. 40% alcohol by volume. Okay, all of these are 40% alcohol by volume. I'm done repeating that one. They have to be bottled at 80 proof or more. Canadian whiskey, three years minimum of age, 700 liter containers maximum. The can- containers don't necessarily have to be new. You can add water. You can add caramel coloring. No specific mash bill, just cereals. Big thing with Canadian whiskey to keep in mind. It can have up to 9.09% of other flavoring spirits or wine in it, and it's typically blended with different whiskeys being blended together. Then Japanese whiskey, you have to use malted grains, but you can have other cereals, distilled to less than 95%. Wooden casks, once again, that's 700 liter maximum. You have to make, distill, and age in Japan. You can add Japanese water only, and it has to be aged for a minimum of three years in wooden casks. And lastly, of course, is rye whiskey, 51% rye or more new charred oak containers, 160 proof off the still, 125 proof going into the barrel. And I think that's most of it. So hopefully that clears up those last few categories. There are a lot more. And I always have people who want to say, well, what what about Australian whiskey? What about Indian whiskey? There's so many whiskeys Coming out of nowhere, coming out of everywhere nowadays. Um, and I don't, I'm just trying to cover the main ones that you're mainly going to see. If you go to your liquor store, you're probably going to see everything that we've talked about. And that's why I covered those ones. But that's not to say they're the only whiskeys. And there are a lot out there that even I have not tried. One that I, it's probably worth its own episode. Uh, we did do an episode where we tasted one. But it, it's very up and coming in the United States, and that is American single malts. So you've got single malts in Scotland. You've got them in Ireland. I believe you've even got them in Japan. You can make a single malt you know, anywhere, depending on what your laws are. But American single malts are now being recognized, and they are booming. They're becoming more and more popular. So those are one that I, I didn't talk about. Uh, maybe we will have an episode on them. Let me know if you guys want to have an episode on American single malts specifically. Also, I don't mention flavored whiskeys often because they do follow different rules. So, like, if you take a bourbon and you add flavoring to it, it's not bourbon anymore. It's bourbon with flavoring or whatever you want to call it. So, I didn't really talk about flavored whiskeys. Flavored whiskeys can a lot of times be thought of similar to how I think of flavored cigars. And that is that they're almost thought of separately. So, like, when people talk about the notes of a cigar or of a whiskey, they're often not talking about flavoring that was put into the whiskey or the cigar. They're talking about notes that you're getting just from the whiskey, maybe from the finishing process, something like that, but not from actually like taking, I don't know, blueberry flavoring. Blueberry is a terrible example. Peach, everybody knows crown peach, peach flavoring and going into the whiskey. That is no longer bourbon. If we're talking about bourbon here, I don't know why. So I want to keep that in mind that these rules don't necessarily apply unless it's called blank with artificial flavoring, blank with peach flavoring. Then they took that whiskey and then added flavoring. So that makes it no longer just the whiskey that it was. But just want to keep that in mind. That's why I didn't touch on them, but I do like flavored whiskeys. I like all whiskeys. There are a couple of flavored whiskeys that I really enjoy. Shout out Wild Turkey American Honey Sting. I almost always forget that name because it's such a mouthful. But that's pretty good from Wild Turkey. So... So those are the last few types of whiskey that we're going to be talking about in this little mini series reboot that I'm doing. Uh, But let me know if you want to hear more about American single malts. But I'm hoping you're as excited as I am to get more into this Japanese whiskey because we haven't had very many Japanese whiskeys on the show. I'm going to give it a quick taste. I'm going to give you my quick thoughts. And then we're going to read what they tell us about it and the flavor notes that they say we should get. So if you drink a lot of bourbon... This is going to be strange for you as it is for me. Uh, It has a little bit of that oaky spiciness. I mean a little bit. But overall, it tastes pretty wildly different. It kind of reminds me of Pendleton. A little bit of that glazed donut-y vibe. Uh, It's definitely like white sugar, glaze of a glazed donut, a little bit of herbaceousness, a little bit of herbs to it, and maybe just a touch of oak. Here's the thing. I don't know if I just don't have a palate for Japanese whiskey. I would like to try there. They have a, a coffee malt instead of grain. Uh, but the it, it's just a little too simple to me. Um, I don't get – I wouldn't call it a flavor bomb. Maybe that's what I'm going for. I'm used to drinking so many spicy rye and and wheat and obviously corn in the bourbon and just all these flavors. And this to me – It seems a little bit simple. It seems a little bit vanilla-y, white sugary, and not much else. It is, I want to give it the benefit of the doubt here. It is delightfully sweet. I mean, like I said, it's white sugar, but it's like a lot. And it's also, it's weird how much body it has for how simple it is. Because it's not like the flavors are punchy. It's not like I'd call it a flavor bomb. But that white sugar vanilla flavor that I'm getting, it's a lot of it. Like I'm getting a lot of it. I could see myself drinking this maybe on like a summer day because it's kind of so light and so easy. I could see myself drinking it in that scenario, but it's um it's just super different from anything else. I mean, most of the Japanese whiskies that we've had are and uh, so far I haven't hit a home run on the Japanese whiskey. I think like if you're factoring in cost because obviously this this is way more expensive, whiskey toki uh, this was i want to say 75 dollars. whiskey toki and tenjaku are both down near that 40 dollar range so this is more expensive but for the price i'd rather have whiskey toki i think it's just it's a little bit more harsh whiskey toki is but it's a lot cheaper and i don't know it delivers a different flavor profile that i i kind of like a little bit more I'm not dissing it, though, because here's what I will say. I always, I'm a benefit-of-the-doubt guy. Uh, if you like what this tastes like, it delivers it. I mean, it's sweet. It's sugary. it. Let me take one more sip. Perfumey. Perfumey is the word that I think I'd use to describe it. It's, like, sweet, it's sugary, and then it's got, like, a perfumey, almost slightly bitter herbal thing going on. Fragrant. It's a little bit Fragrant. It's not 100% for me, but for the sake of the argument, let's let's talk about it a little bit. So here's what they tell you about Nika Coffee Grain Whiskey. This is a signature grain whiskey, which was released in 2012. Predominantly made from corn, whiskey distilled in a coffee still is matured in old casks, such as refilled, remade, and recharred casks, originally made from American oak, to deliver the sweet and mellow flavors of coffee distillates. Ah, they even add—this is perfect, because we just talked about the rules— This product meets all of the criteria of Japanese whiskey defined by Japan Spirits and Liquor Makers Association. So those are those rules that we just talked about. Now, I'm a little bit sad because that's all they give you. Hmm. Yeah, they don't really give you a lot of notes to go off of. They do mention that the coffee still gives it a creamy texture, and I think that's a fair thing to say. It tastes kind of creamy, kind of like simple syrup. If you ever just took a sip of simple syrup where it's just sugar and water, has that kind of glide across your tongue feel. I'll give it that. That's that's fair. I will say I get a little bit frustrated. I'm like probably going to have to cut a fair amount of this out because I'm like looking around their website. I wish they gave notes. So I'm going to give my normal spiel. A lot of places will give you notes. And notes that a distiller gives you are never always 100% accurate. Don't assume that you have to match the notes that they give you or you have that those notes are correct but for me it says something about the distiller when they depending on what notes they give you if they say nothing then I'm like did you even like taste it Why, why aren't you giving me I obviously they tasted it okay that was a little out of pocket but why aren't you giving me your opinion why aren't you telling me this was artfully crafted and it tastes like this and this and this i like that i like hearing a story maybe it's just me but the fact that on their website if there are notes i can't even find them that's frustrating to me i'll be honest at least they tell us that it's mainly corn but they don't give me notes so i'm not going to elaborate too much more on it here's what i'll say it's it's a little bit simple for me for the seventy five dollar price tag. Uh, it does it comes across very 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 clean, almost like this is the closest that a whiskey could get to vodka. Right, vodka doesn't have a lot of flavor, but a lot of times it tastes clean, kind of like that. And you know I don't like vodka, maybe that's why I don't like this. But it it comes across very clean. It has a nice white sugary taste, a little bit herbal. I think it's safe to say that. It's just not my flavor profile. It's just not the type of thing that I typically dig. I'll keep it on the shelf. I might even drink it in the summertime, and there might be some pretty stellar cocktails you can make with it. It would hurt me to mix a $75 whiskey, but if I'm not going to drink it too much neat, then maybe I'll do it anyways. So there's a few different things I could probably do with it. But overall, not 100% my flavor profile. So I hate to say that. If you were drinking it at home, I'm super – this one's interesting. I want to know. If you drank it at home alongside the show, what did you think? Especially, let me know. If you liked it, let me know what you typically like because I'm intrigued to know what might line up with what you typically like. Take a couple guesses here. I'm thinking like Pendleton, Crown Royal, uh, things that have that type of taste to them. I'm thinking you're going to like those. I don't know for sure, but I also really like Pendleton. For the money, I prefer Pendleton to this. Maybe overall, I would prefer this to Pendleton because it's... It's overall, it's definitely cleaner. It's definitely well-made. It's just not really my flavor profile. So I'll stop beating that dead horse right now and cut to the chase. These are the last few types of whiskey that we're going to be talking about. Maybe I will have to have an episode on American single malts here soon because they are growing in popularity, but that's all that I've got for this episode of Whiskey Noobs. So I hope we're rounding out all the different types of whiskey, all the different meanings and terms So hopefully that was very helpful. If not, let me know. Let me know what you want me to clear up. But I'm hoping it cleared the waters up and didn't muddy them. That's all I've got for this episode, guys. I will leave you with learn to drink, drink to learn. Thank you guys for listening to another episode of Whiskey Noobs. If you need more Whiskey Noobs content in your life, make sure you check out our Patreon page in the show notes. And if you like the show, please make sure to leave a five-star rating or review. It only takes a couple of minutes and they're way more helpful than people realize. If you want to do tastings alongside the show, make sure you join the email list by sending an email to whiskeynoobspodcast at gmail.com with a subject line that says email list. You'll receive monthly emails with a list of the whiskeys that will be featured throughout the month so that you can buy them ahead of time you can also find more whiskey noobs content on instagram at whiskey noobs, and on tiktok at whiskey_noobs_podcast. podcast once again thank you guys for listening the whiskey noobs podcast does not support underage or otherwise irresponsible consumption of alcohol